Hey everyone, this week's podcast is brought to you by the Michael Dolce 2019 Masterclass Tour. Hi guys, Michael Dolce here to announce my Masterclass Tour for 2019. Um, it has already kicked off and I'm looking forward to bringing it to a town near you. This particular time around, I'm dedicating the sessions to an open style topic. So basically, you guys as the players will dictate how the Masterclass will run. The classes are open for intermediate to advanced players and as per usual I always strive to make the classes non-intimidating. There's a whole heap of jamming. If you'd like some more information on the classes please visit my website at www.michaeldolcemusic and I hope to see you guys there. Cheers for now. Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show I produce in Sydney, Australia where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 115. Now today I'm joined by Nick Wolf, frontman and guitar player of the Wolf Brothers Band, fantastic country rock band hailing from the Australian island state of Tasmania. Nick talks about his early uh, achy-breaky heart days through to his metal days and then synthesising all his great loves into the Wolf Brothers project, which he shares with his brother Tom Wolf on bass, Brody Rainbird on guitars and Casey Costick on drums. We have an excellent conversation talking about how the, uh, the Wolf Brothers worked so hard but then smashed down the door of opportunity that reality TV provided for them and uh, sent their career in a whole new orbit. Talk about working with Lee Kernigan about uh, the association with Fender Australia and also why a good road case can actually provide a great deal of joy in your life. All right, we'll jump straight in. Here's my conversation. Nick Wolf, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Mate, thanks so much for having me on. I can't lie, I'm a little bit intimidated. I'm a pretty regular listener to the podcast and, you know, a lot of my, my heroes have been on here and people I really admire. So um, it's, uh, I'm flattered to be asked to be on, but a little scared too. So oh. we'll, we'll be right. <laughs> oh, for sure. Man, we're very stoked to have you on the show. So, man, thanks for your time. It's, it's heaps good. No worries. So let's go back to the really the start. Um, what what got you started on guitar in the first place? Well, um, I come from uh, four generations of musicians and uh, farmers, and uh, Dad was a, a drummer, and uh, I think I first wanted to play drums, and uh, he might have got a little, might have had a little drum kit first, and uh-huh. then, uh, but Dad was always. Um, I can really remember him saying, no, you don't want to be back there. You want to be out the front and uh, doing all that. So he always, he didn't force us to play instruments, but he uh, strongly encouraged, I guess. And uh, yeah, so when I was six, um, I think I was six or seven, um, I can remember going to the music shop, McCann's in Hobart, and um, I got a, a red uh, Samic and a little uh, no, sorry, it was a Samic amp and it was like a red Valencia or something electric. So um, that was my first guitar. Don't have it anymore. Um, but yeah, that was my first few years. Started lessons pretty much straight away um, with a guy called Jason Patmore. And um, yeah, I've always had 
uh, really good teachers I've, I've always thought were, I guess, you know, really cool and I always wanted to, to be like them to a degree. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, um, as I'm sure a lot of guitarists kind of yeah, sure. have done. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Jason kind of taught me the basics and um, yeah, and then it kind of, as I went through and got older, got into a lot of different types of music and yeah. it's been a cool, uh, cool journey. Very good. Now, did you say you were six years old when you got that guitar? Yeah, yeah. So wow. um, I think I was six, yeah. So dad, as I say, dad was very encouraging. Um, you know, I think dad actually had an idea and he said that he might have wanted to uh, make a family band type thing at some point down the track, you know, with me on guitar and my brother Tom on bass and then him on the, on the kid. I think maybe that was the end game, but uh, <laughs> that didn't, uh, I did play with dad and his band for a little while, but uh, yeah, we never really did that as a, as a thing, but um, yeah. That's cool, man. That's very cool. Man, six, that's really young. And you just straight into electric, no mucking around on the, on an acoustic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind, of, I kind of wish I, I didn't actually touch like a, a nylon um, string guitar until I was in high school, and that was what they they had, you know, in the, in the music block. And I thought, oh, that's actually pretty cool. And I think that that's a I went, you know, on a little um, classical type um, expedition there for a while, but um, never never got too far with that. But um, yeah, no, so straight on the electric, and um, I think the first thing I ever learnt was um Yankee Doodle and then um <laughs> Achy Break Achy Breaky Heart was really big at the time. So I sort of <laughs> That's great. Learned, learned that and it was just sort of like, you know, it wasn't even really the actual guitar parts, it was just like the melody on in guitar notes. Oh, you know, okay, think, okay. Oh that's like cool. That. That's cool. And uh yeah, and then I can remember, you know, struggling with bar chords and, and all that sort of stuff. And um yeah, so I always sort of play guitar all through primary school, but I guess it wasn't probably until high school I started taking it a bit more seriously. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you singing as well? I was. I, um, yeah, this is pretty, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but, um, yeah, we, I, there's a, we did, I think we did like a Hanson cover in the primary school <laughs> <laughs> talent show where I sang and I, uh, had, a similar type voice at the time and um <laughs> hopefully there's no footage of that that exists anywhere in the world but um that's great yeah man. so i always sort of always sort of sang a bit as well yeah um, cool which um which handsome tune oh, i think it was probably Umbo. yeah was, yeah yeah it's cool. pretty big around yeah. my grade four five era <laughs> i think you must have been the coolest kid in year four though if, you, if you're busting out that well you know i, I remember yeah the power of guitar uh in those situations does I was pretty cool for a couple of days there, I think, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you mentioned video footage. Um, I, I haven't f found any Mbop footage of you, but I have seen... That's good. I have seen video footage of you. I think it's high school. I don't know. I think you're doing um, uh, Enter, Enter Sandman at like a talent competition or something. Is there any... Oh, amazing. Yeah. Is there any truth in uh, that? That's uh, yeah, very true. That was uh, so high school uh, for me. Really, uh, well, I was into a lot of different things, but um, what, what you're referring to there is uh, my peak of my metal <laughs> glory years. There, awesome. um, so we had a band um, myself, Casey, who uh, drums for the Wolf Brothers, uh, and two other guys in, who are in our grade, and um, 
we yeah played a basically was mostly Metallica, some Pantera, and a little bit of Iron Maiden, and they were sort of like the the trinity of our um wow. our metal metal heritage. And uh, I think we were called something ridiculous like a Menhotep, some sort of Egyptian pharaoh reference, you know. <laughs> That's and, perfect. Uh, That's but great. That, the, the cool thing about it was it was at the time. Uh, you know, it was the height of new metal. So our thing was like, you know, all, everyone else at school was into Limp Biscuit and Corn, okay, and, yep, and all that. And we were we were rocking the the Master of Puppets t-shirts, and you know, we were those guys. Yeah, so, um, old trying, trying to grow our hair, and um, but yeah, that uh, footage you're speaking of is is quite funny because uh, yeah, I think the, the act on before us played uh, Limp Biscuit Roll, and wow, and they all they all had like um you know white t-shirts and and red caps turned backwards with it. <laughs> I, I think they even had the girls in the grade as like a dancing crew. Wow, and then uh, everyone's like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then we come on and and uh, play into Sandman, and then just every bogan from the crowd runs <laughs> runs out and forms this mosh. And then there's the funny thing about it is there's like a, a lady picking up her child and like evacu- evacuating it from the area. It's, it's, it's just magical. I'm so glad it's on, on uh, video, that one. I know, that's my favourite part. That's so oh, cool. So, yeah. And the guy, there's a guy with the sort of, you know, undercuts were really big then. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this guy has like an undercut that's almost to the top of his head, just sort of a Phil Anselmo style deal going on. He runs out, throws his cap down on the ground and just like fully commits to this mosh. It's an incredible footage. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. But, but, but yeah, man, but seriously, though, to pull off Pantera and, and Maiden stuff at, yeah, still a fairly young age, that's, that is impressive. You guys must have been serious about getting yeah. your, your stuff together. Well, we we just it was just you know high school and we just loved it, mate. You know, um, it was funny. We went into the music shop down in Hobart, mod musician, the other day with, with my mum, and um, she was looking at all the all the tab books the, that were on display there, and you know, there's you know the Master of Puppets and Black Album, and mum's like, oh, we've got all these at home, and. <laughs> like, and the, the um, guy in the music shop was saying like, these are the ones that. You just constantly stock. That's what people always, always buy. You know, Eric Clapton Unplugged. Um, you know, I think it's the Guns N' Roses one where there's like, a, you know, select solos from different ones. And uh-huh. yeah, you know, so just good. great, great times. Very cool. <clears throat> Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's serious stuff to cut your, cut your chops on. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, we had a really good um, uh, music. It was a great music department at my high school, Kingston High School. Uh, uh, Lee Crombie was a teacher, and he was like, again, one of those those teachers who you thought was cool because he was cool. He is cool. He's a legend. And uh, there's been a few uh, sort of different uh, musicians that have come out of that. Um, Joe Haley and Dave Haley from the uh, metal band Psychroptic. They sort oh, of okay. tour the world now. Yeah, yeah. So he, he taught them and wow. taught all of us. And I think he just we really inspired us. You know, he'd lend us CDs. I remember, like, he was the guy that showed me Hendrix and showed me um, Stevie Ray Vaughan and tons of different stuff, you know. So he'd always be, uh, you know, he'd run you off a cassette of, of all this all this cool stuff, oh, you know, excellent. you'd never really heard of. Because YouTube wasn't around then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so he was sort of our a source of cool guitar stuff. 
Yeah, fantastic. So I'm guessing this is, I don't know, like mid-90s, I think 2000s. it would have been, yeah, like a late 90s. So um, what am I, 34? So, yeah, um, yeah, late 90s, getting into the 2000s. 2000s yeah, okay, so, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm terrible with dates, sorry. No, no, that's good. That's all good. Um, excellent. And what else were you playing around then? You said you were playing other styles as well? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I was sort of – there was one period I remember um, where I was doing – like, and this is not representative of me these days, anyway, shape or form. But when I was so into it, I was doing three hours practice a day, and one was like um, steel string practice, the mm-hmm. other was electric, and the other one was nylon. And you know, I'd just get like a, a classical book or something and try and learn how to read music well enough to do it. And and then the, the steel string stuff, I'd have the, I think I got the Tommy Emanuel video for Christmas. So I'd, you know, try and learn those sorts of things. And and um, and then the other stuff was, yeah, electric. And I'd just be, yeah, different scales and things from books and all that sort of stuff. And I think I, think I re- that was kind of where I got uh, better in a rapid way. But the rest of it's been a pretty slow grind. <laughs> 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 That's cool, but so you're obviously like fairly disciplined though to to be banging out three hours a a day oh, on that back stuff. Back then, mate, but you know, yeah. I did, didn't have much going on back then. It was just uh, complete schoolwork and then get home and, yeah. and play guitar. I just just loved it back then. Well, but, I still love it now, obviously. But um, yeah, yeah, no, that was it's. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad you know I had very supportive parents that like. As I'll say, Dab is a musician. Yeah, Mum yeah. isn't a musician, but um, loves music, and um, you know they've always they always just supported us in in whatever we wanted to do musically. Whether it was metal, we used to have a game with Mum where we could play. We'd play a Metallica riff, and Mum could sort of you know guess it within the first what song it was by the first five <laughs> seconds. So we I think we subjected her to a lot of noise back in the day, but. Um, yeah. You've got the coolest mum ever. That's awesome. I think so. I think so. <laughs> hey, you said earlier you've got um you come from four generations of um, musicians and farmers. What Yeah. What's what's the musical background going a bit further back? So, um yeah, we come from uh Nika down in Tasmania, south of Hobart. Um my great-grandfather George Wolf um was a fiddle player. Uh-huh. Um and then my grandfather uh who I never got to meet, uh, Ernie, Ernie Wolf. He had uh, he was a saxophone player mainly, but played a lot of different stuff. And um, he had a what they called uh, Wolf's Family Orchestra, which would go around and play, um, you know, around Tasmania and um, in the sort of southern area down there. Um, and I guess he was thought they played kind of you know popular stuff of the time and vaudeville type things and you know my, my dad would play drums sometimes my uncle would play drums and or you know a bit of piano or whatever um yeah and then dad um dad was a, a drummer in a in a hobart band called uh, midnight revival for pretty much uh 30 odd years or something wow um wow. and that, they sort of you know played was a cover band they did release a couple of original things but um predominantly a cover band playing you know credence uh, rolling stones uh beatles you know all those sorts of classic things so um yeah and then yeah then on now farming and doing other jobs and in the other times so yeah i guess it was probably inevitable that i was gonna 
get into the whole thing. Wow, that's cool. That's a really cool heritage. It's good to be so well, aware of it as well. Ma- the amazing thing is that sometimes people come to our gigs and they'll say, I used to watch your grandfather, then I watched your father, and now I'm here watching you boys. Oh, wow. And, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, That's incredible. I mean, they've usually got sort of earplugs in and, you know, <laughs> like, I really like what you do. No, then, no it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> they, um, that's it's, really it's, cool. It's incredible, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So what's the journey for you between, so I guess, the end of school then and then um, forming the Wolf Brothers? Well, so went to, after high school, went to Hobart College uh, and then uh, had another uh, uh, great uh, music teacher in that department, uh, Phil Grinham. And this is at this time, uh, I don't know, my metal sort of was getting a bit uh, on the softer side and I started really getting into hair metal. Yep. And this is kind of where it got a bit interesting. And uh, so Brody and I um, then formed a band called um, 5150. Nice. And, uh, ben Halen. Yeah, so we got right right into all that, and uh, I think my my big kind of takeaway band from then I, I don't I just associate it with you know the glorious college years you know, but is uh, Warrant. I love Warrant. Yeah, absolutely love it. You know, um, so yeah, really got into those guys. Which and finally, actually, only a couple of months ago, got to see Warrant live, um, and that was just incredible so <laughs> there you go man very yeah, cool so we got Full right circle. into hair metal me yep. and Brode. Um, hey this is this is interesting because hair metal had was long gone by by then oh, so long gone yeah, yeah so wow. um what we'd do we'd um you know we'd go to college and then in, in lunch break or something we'd duck down into hobart and we'd go to a, a shop called Solders Sound Center, and um, it was like a second-hand music shop. Okay, and yep. there, were, there were just racks and racks of you know old magazines and old old DVDs, or no, there wouldn't be DVDs; it'd be VCRs. But then, yeah, right. Uh, and then you know, every now and again, you'd, you'd stumble across the Grail, like you know a Paul Gilbert instructional video, or you know something like that, because you again, YouTube wasn't. I mean, it was around then, but that wasn't. You know, the internet wasn't great then. <laughs> so yeah, we were still, sure. uh, yep. you were getting out the, the VHS and, um, yeah, Paul Gilbert videos. And, and, uh, yeah, I remember finding this, uh, warrant, uh, dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking, rich live thing. And, um, just awesome, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, not so much these days, but whenever I'd go to record a solo or something, all the boys would always be like, Oh mate, that's. I mean, it's literally just warrant, but it's cool. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's quite interesting with warrant because I I I believe that the guys in the band didn't uh, record a lot of the solos, um, so I you kind of my guitar hero possibly is kind of like this ghost guy who I can't find much about. Okay. Yeah, I believe it's a guy called Mike Slamer. Okay, yeah. And um, yeah, just never, you know, every now and again, I'll get on the net and see what I can find. There might be, you know, a podcast here and there or a few bits, but it's kind of a little bit unclear of how much he played on the albums. Um, But he's definitely got a very distinguishable style. And uh, like, if you think of this um, Angry Anderson 
um, song Bound for Glory, the oh, solo yeah. in that. Yep, yep. So I heard that and I'm like, geez, that's that really sounds like Warrant. And then I looked into it, yeah, Mike Slamer. So I'm like, okay. Wow, there you go. Yeah, so, so that sound was locked in for you then. Yeah, I mean, you know, just certain elements, I guess. Yeah. It's just really sort of like, um, it's a great sort of middle ground between uh, shredding and, and great memorable hooks and, and all that sort of stuff, you know. I, I, just, I just love it. Yeah, cool. I think I heard an interview with um, the guy who produced that first Warrant record and mm-hmm. um, his side of the story, if I remember it properly, was that, um, yeah, the two guitar guys, they – but, you know, when they were tracking for the solos and stuff, they weren't quite quite there. But to their credit, they were cool with someone else coming in. They learned all his parts and became yeah. much better players for it. So, Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard about that. And, like, this guy actually taught, would teach them and sort of have lessons with them and, and, and show them. So, yeah. no, really, really cool. But, I mean, yeah, like, as I say, finally, I think it was, yeah, the last – couple of months when we're over in the states um we're in nashville and uh every time we've been to the states i've always just got on the the net and i'm like i wonder if warrant uh you know doing some sort of county fair or or something around here because i you know i've never got to see him and um this time it happened it was they were playing down in this club in chattanooga Uh and um i'm like yeah we're going (laughs) so um how good Oh, no, it was so good. We got there and um, our manager had actually, he didn't tell me, but like I, I had I said you had to print the tickets out. So I get up to the door and I've got the tickets and I'm oh, on my phone, like, oh, I hope they can, you know, get them off the phone. And then uh, our manager's like, oh, you won't need the tickets, mate. I'm like, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, well, I sent them um, that thing from your Instagram of you playing um, the solo to Sometimes She Cries and they've given us VIP passes and we're going to meet them. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> How good. That's the best. It was really cool because, uh, yeah, last year I sort of treated my, myself and um, got a, uh, a Charvel. I, I just didn't have any, like, shred-type guitars in, in, the, in the stable. And I thought, nah, I just need something to just have a bit of a – Bit of a lash on every now and again, you know. So I got that, you know, white white Charvel. Um, I think it's like a DK twenty four. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, nice um, man. You know, white with like gold. You know, the gold uh, Floyd Rose and gold hardware, and yeah, and it's just one of those things you can just instantly play faster on. It's incredible. So um, yeah, every now and again I'll get it out and um, relearn an old Warrant solo or something like that, and. Uh, have a bit of fun. Nice, nice. So we we're talking about, um, yeah, I guess so. College. So you're doing. So you you're studying music at college. Uh yeah. So um, I ended up doing a lot of bloody drama in college, which I feel like was kind of. If I could go back, I would have done a lot more music. I wish I could have done more, like um, you know, recording classes and and things like that. Um, I, I did end up going to the. Uh, to Hope Conservatorium of Music in Hobart after that. Um, but I haven't I haven't actually graduated. Um, I think I've got one it's a bit ridiculous actually. I've got I've got one unit to go on my Bachelor of Music and uh, the unit is performance and I think you have to you have to record a uh, a five track uh, EP 
uh, or not EP, but a five track CD. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then that's that's that unit. So you're that's probably a bit, that's a little bit ridiculous because I've you know we've had two Aria nominated albums. It's <laughs> um, right, a truckload of golden yeah. guitars. And- yeah. So, uh, but I mean, well, you know, it's it's not jazz either. So, um, yeah, I, I I understand, but I'm hoping one day maybe they might tick off the box for me because I really would love to get. Yeah, the yeah. That sort of music, you know. Yeah, you've probably got your performance together. I'd, I'd suggest. By well, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> cool, man. So yeah, so college. What's um, what follows that then? So because I know yeah, the Wolf so, Brothers, um, you know the the TV thing, which we'll get to, was I don't know around mm, twenty twelve, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but how long have you? The, how long have you been? When did you get up and running first? So yeah. So um, got uh, left college. I think I was at the conservatorium then, and um, we, my brother and I, uh, were playing with two other guys, and we started. I'd started kind of going back to country, which I never really played, but it was always around. Like you know, I think my first concert I ever went to was a James Blundell concert. Mum was a big country fan, and uh, you know. I think it kind of got in the blood pretty early on, you know. So around college, I'd sort of started um, getting back into country and a, a big part of that was the Keith Urban Golden Road album. Um, and and I, I thought, wow, this is really cool. You know, like it's – I've never been uh, – I've tried, you know, I've tried to learn the chicken picking and the ultra fast, you know, Brent Mason and, and uh, Brad Paisley stuff. And, and obviously we all appreciate it. It's absolutely incredible. Those guys are phenomenons, but um, I think I, I've kind of always liked the, the Keith sort of more approach where it's, sure, you know, yep. it's a little more melodic, um, yep. more bluesy, a bit more, you know, not flurry, I suppose. And um, yeah, so I, I, I love, love the songs that on golden road and, that kind of drew me back into country. And I guess so, yeah, I was playing with my brother. We were doing covers um, with some other guys over a couple of years. And then uh, guys came and left and then wound up with Casey, who I was in the metal band in high school with. Broad came back in, who I was playing hair metal with in college. <laughs> and, um, the yeah, and the Wolf Brothers, we just called it the Wolf Brothers because basically we'd play covers around Hobart and then – Everyone would say like, "Oh, I'm going to see the Wolf Boys." So we're like, "Okay, well, let's just call it the Wolf Brothers." Eh? you know, I think we all call one for the road for a, a little bit of time. But yeah, I, when your name's Wolf, you may as well use it, I suppose. You know? Yeah, man. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty memorable. Name, Very rock so. and roll name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So we um, we did covers mainly. Um, you know, starting off, and we our our gigs were things like rodeos. Um, BNS balls, um, country pubs around Tasmania, and we did that for a few years. And we got a really, really loyal following. Um, we'd go to these like uh, pubs, like the Great Lake Hotel, which is pretty much smack bang in the cent- center of Tasmania, in the central highlands. You know, away from you know, it's like a three-hour drive to get there, and our gigs would just be packed and pumping, and you know that licensing you get onto it and come and shut the pub down and 
people would be burning couches in the car park and <laughs> things like that. Like, and it just became this real thing in Tasmania. Wow. Like, you know, we'd, we'd go and play somewhere and just be a, the rural kids, you know, would all come around and yeah, it was, it was awesome. So we got a really loyal following. Um, and then we, we, uh, I was at the conservatorium and I was learning about recording um, from a guy called Tony Sayer and um, we decided we'd um, we'd make a, an EP. You know, we we're always sort of trying to write songs and things like that. And um, yeah, sort of in the country country rock sort of area. And Tony, um, my teacher, recorded it. Um, we put that out. We had a massive EP launch down in um, Salamanca in Hobart. Um, we we were doing sort of like these original nights and stuff, and then the original scene of Hobart kind of, you know, were a bit against us because we also did covers and, you know, um, they're like, Oh, you know, these guys don't belong here. And then we just did this EP launch and it was like, you know, 600 people or something. They're like, how the hell did this happen? It's like, well, yeah, we've been gigging every week for like the last three years. Yeah. Building wow. a following. Yeah, and now building it. That's great. This, this is how it happens. So, <laughs> but it also worked, um, really well in our favor when we did eventually um, go on Australia's Got Talent because uh, you know, not only did all these fans that we um, got from our cover stuff over those years just got right behind us, kind of the whole state of Tasmania, just like like people were literally would see me on the street and were like crying. Like it was like like a Beatlemania. It, wow. was, it, was, it was quite bizarre. Like I think those shows kind of had a bit more – um, sting back then too. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was very crazy time, really crazy. So this is, um, yeah, 2012 when when the Australia's Got Talent thing happens. But isn't it interesting? Like, there's, yeah, I guess those shows they feel like they've they've maybe not got the same amount of steam um, these days. But there's the perception that oh, you know, the people who go on there, they're you know, they're not working musicians or they're not building a career. They're just hoping hoping for a quick um, push. But yeah. the people who've done well with it, it's, I mean, like guys like yourself working really hard and then obviously just in such a prime position to take advantage of the exposure that, that yeah, followed. That's, I mean, honestly, that's the only reason we went on, like because, um, well, I remember we were, I think we were recording our, our EP at the time and then you know they sent they have sort of scouts that come into a, like the state or the area they're they're auditioning at and they're like oh they must have you know heard a bit of buzz about us and they're like oh do you want to come and audition and we all obviously we just like nah nah we we don't want to go on one of those shows you know and um, we, we're working with a, a manager at the time and and she said oh look just just go on it and see how you go look if you end up getting on you know it might be able to help me get more gigs um, on the mainland, as we call it, you know, because we just couldn't get a gig outside of Tasmania. I think mm-hmm. we did one B&S, was great, and then, you know, it cost us more to get there and back than the gig, but, you know, we loved it and it was all good. Um, we did Tamworth and, again, you know, you, you lo- we lost money going there, and uh, but it was cool because we did it, but we just couldn't get any traction over there, you know. So, um, yeah, we decided to have a little – punt and um we went and auditioned and it just uh went off from there but really lucky with how they treated us on that show you know like i feel like a lot now they force people to do covers um i think we played 
might be wrong, but I think maybe we, there's five songs we did over the series, maybe, and four were original, and we did one cover, I think. So, play, you know, good on them for letting us do that, you know, because they really, yeah, yeah, they they did they didn't really have to, you know, they sure they could they could have said like, oh no no, you've got to do this, but um, yeah, let's do our own songs, and um, yeah, I, I think the the producers were sort of probably a bit surprised we were there so as long as we, we were, you know, because there were things like, uh, you know, on the grand final show, there's a big like opening number where, where each, you know, act who's made the grand final, you know, sings like a couple of lines or if they're a dancer, they come out and dance, oh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, we didn't have anything in this opening number. Our part was just to like walk out at the end and like, walk off to the side and wave. And then we're like, <laughs> um, so, what? so we don't have to play or anything. It's like, and then like one of the musical directors like, oh man, I don't think they thought you were going to be here. Eh? <laughs> 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 like, right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah, so we ended up coming second through that. Yeah. And um, yeah. And through that, that's where I guess the things that really started kicking off. Um, we, our manager, uh, now, Steve White um, through, saw us through there um, and Lee Kernigan saw us on there and he was around that time looking for a new band. Um, so, yeah, after that sort of show concluded, we went and uh, auditioned for Lee. You know, I think we'd been to Sydney like twice in our lives, you know. So then we're going into Sydney, we've learned – we've we've learned all this entire catalog basically just because we're like, we want this gig, you know? And, um, and I'm, it was so bizarre, but we, we were going to the, the rehearsal studio, you know, uh, the one down near the airport there in, in Sydney. And we're like, we're saying like, so, I mean, do you reckon Lee's going to be, he's going to be wearing his hat or like, we've never <laughs> met him. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and was he? He wasn't. No, no hat. Okay. <laughs> no, just a cap. Just a cap. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he comes in like, oh well, you know, because we've been playing these songs at rodeos and and things like that for the four years leading up to this, you know. So it was a big, big deal for us, you know. Like we were freaking out, you know. And um, but yeah, we basically set up, jammed. I think we jammed two or three songs, and. Um, Broad uh, in that in that it wasn't really an audition; it was more of a jam to see whether it would work, I suppose. But he, uh, we played one of these songs called uh, "Dirt," and Broad just like nailed this solo. And um, you just see Lee look over and just be like, "Yep, yep, this is gonna work." And uh, yeah, yeah finish that song, and he's like, "Yeah, boys, you got the job." And um, we've been touring with Lee ever since. We've been touring on our own ever since and um yeah just i guess riding the wave like it's sort of to the point now where most most people probably don't even know we're on the show you know which is kind of cool that we've transcended uh that whole deal and people are like are into it just for our music but um so yeah they're, but they're, but there's still definitely people that come to the gigs that are like oh you know saw you guys on australia's got talent and yeah so it was it was the reality TV thing, um, you know, it gets put across as pretty, can be a pretty negative thing for a lot of musicians. But, you know, I've got to say for us, it was uh, literally life-changing. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, there's um, there's so many terrible stories about this, yeah, and there's plenty, yeah. of, there's plenty of great ones too. But I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, it was such a positive experience, and the traction, man, from uh, from that, it's fantastic. Well, like I say, you know, like the the, the support of the Tasmanian community during that show was just like unreal. I don't, I don't know if there'd been, there might have been a couple of other people who'd been on those sorts of shows before, but. Uh, it just really ignited when we went on there, you know. And like I say, like I remember being out one night in Hobart and people like coming up, like literally crying at us, going like, "Oh my god, you know, you're doing us proud." <laughs> 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 like, it's, just, it's ridiculous, but you know, God, thank God for them because they they voted for us, and you know, we get to live these incredible lives now, and where we, you know, we haven't had a normal job since then. We've got to go around and play guitar and see parts of the country and, and the world that we never would have, you know, we'd still be playing in Irish Murphy's and Hobart, you know, yeah, yeah. If, if, if that hadn't happened. So yeah, awesome. we're very grateful. So good. And the whole, the whole Lake Hennigan thing's cool too. Cause you, um, I think for a lot of shows, I'd, I think, is it still happening that you guys, you'll open the show and then you'll, <laughs> You'll jump on for Lee's yeah. set as well as, as his band. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, usually goes, we'll uh, yeah, open the show, uh, do sort of a, well, at the moment we're doing like a nine-song set. Yeah. And then, um, which is pretty pretty generous for an opening act, you know. Um, and then we'll we'll have a little intermission and then um, go backstage, have a couple of fireball shots and then come out with uh, Lee all guns blazing. So, nice. um, but, you know, like... Lee has been such a massive supporter for us. Like he honestly doesn't view it as like a support act. He he views it as a double bill, you know, and he gives us full access to, you know, his crew lighting all and which, you know, Lee has an amazing crew of people and they're, they all look after us so well, you know, as well. So really, really lucky. It's just, Working on those tours with Lee has, you know, allowed us to go and, and build a fan base in all parts of Australia. Like, it's a great thing about country is you go to all these great regional areas. You might you may not go if if it wasn't that sort of music. So, um, sure, it's it's been awesome. Excellent, man. That's so good. Tell me about um working with Brody. Um, like you said, he's a great guitar player. Um, as you are, how do you how do you guys go about arranging parts when you're writing new stuff or you're in the studio or whatever yeah well basically i think up until the last album um we sort of just had the approach of like we set up everything like you know track it all together and then go back over the top and do stuff over the top but it was kind of just we kind of have got a bit sick of that because we know if we record it like that it's just going to sound the same as the other albums and, you know, and I don't have a particularly high voice either, you know, mm -hmm. it's, um, so when it's my voice seems to sit right in the guitar frequency, you know, range. So it's, you really got to push it to get it above everything. So I guess in the last album, we definitely did more kind of arranging and, and trying to come up with parts that, um, you know, occupied all their own space and left room for the vocals and, rather than just bashing out a heap of chords, which is probably what we've done on the previous three albums a lot, you know? Um, but yeah, when it comes to solos, we're not too, too precious, you know, 
if someone's got a, a good idea, you know, they they'll they'll do the solo and and they'll explore it and and um they'll get to do that one. And if I've got a you know if I've got a, a solid idea of where I want that solo to go, you know, Broad says yeah, if you do it, you know. So we're not really it's not really a competitive environment at all. We sure. just sort of sort of do it, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, like as I say, we're not really a, a chicken picking type sort of thing, you know. We're, we're a little bit more high gain. Yeah, than yeah. A lot of a uh, lot of uh, country guys, but although I must say, the, you know, it's uh, we've definitely backed the gain off in the last uh, sort of album. It's been it's been nice actually, but um, yeah, I mean, Brody's really into his uh, chicken picking and, and massive fan of Brad Paisley and, and those sort of guys. So, but that's uh, always been a bit bit hard for me. That's uh, <laughs> how do you go juggling? Um... Being the front man and and dropping in these guitar parts from the albums, so that's something you well, you rethink uh, well, for the shows. Actually, yeah, some yeah. So actually, um, Broad ends up uh, doing uh, quite a few of the solos that I actually recorded for that reason. Because I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I just can't bloody be bothered like um, trying to like sing up to and then like turn on my delay and all that stuff at once and then do the solo and then turn it all off and try and come back in and sing and not look like, you know, a complete moron. And um, <laughs> it's just easier. This bro just does it and then he yeah. just rocks it out and yeah. just, everyone loves it and it's great, you know? So sure. yeah, we're all, we're good like that too. We're not, not, you yeah, know, like, Oh, this is my, this is my solo. And, you know? So, um, no, so yeah, pretty, it's an interesting arrangement. It's, it's uh, yeah, I think some people find that a bit weird. Like even in film clips, like, you know, Often I'll let Bro do the do the solo, and you know he, he looks he looks so much cooler than me as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's 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 good. It's a good arrangement. Nice man, very cool. Mm. Tell me about um, this year's Golden Guitars. I was um, I was working. I was on a gig, but I always flick on the ABC on the way home on the radio and, and see what's going on and. Man, you guys cleaned up. I think you took home four out of five yeah. gold guitars. Yeah, it was amazing, mate. Um, so up until that point, um, we'd lost uh, – we'd been nominated for 13 and lost 13. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and there's some like we were just, you know, certain we should have won, you know, as everyone is, you know, like sure. everyone everyone thinks their thing's the – the thing, but, yeah. Just to, um, can, I, can I jump in though with the yeah. to, to get nominated? Um, I mean, anyone can put forward material, but to get nominated and then to get voted on, that's totally um, a peer thing, isn't it? In in the industry for the golden guitars, yeah. I think, and there's certain categories too, um, but yeah, it's basically yeah, anyone can nominate. I think you probably got to be a member of the you know CMAA, um, yeah. okay. Um, and then I think, uh, yeah. And then, uh, so then, yeah, then there's a, like a voting round and then the finalists will be put up. I think that happens around sort of late October from memory. And then, um, yeah, everyone, everyone, a member of the CMAA votes and in, uh, Tamworth at the end of the festival, they have the golden guitars and sort of, yeah, Australia's major country music awards. So yeah, yeah. they've been so- going for about 50 years and I, I guess it's always been a, a goal of ours to 
to get one, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we thought this year might have been the year um, we finally got one. Yeah. But to get four that night was it's just it was just one of those nights we'll just never forget. It's just so cool. Fantastic. Well deserved, man. Too the the album itself, uh, where a lot of it sprung from, being um, Country Hearts, fantastic record. And Thank you. Uh, yeah. you guys obviously worked incredibly hard. Well, yeah, all the way we, along, was, you know. So yeah, just rewards. No, uh, well, it's funny, like just Country Heart. We, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion on a guitar podcast, but you know, one of the things we sort of said was like, let's make this one less guitar-y, you know? And um, just, you know, I don't think we even touched a guitar apart from like recording an acoustic and a scratch vocal for like four or five days when we started doing it. We'd get get a click track, do a scratch vocal, acoustic. Um, and then um, our producer, Matt Fell, he'd kind of get into mad scientist mode and um, be pulling out all this weird synthy stuff and, yep, and then yep. we'd, we'd, be, we'd be sitting there, I'd be sitting there in the background conservatively going, oh, oh I don't know about that, mate. You know, oh, that's, that's pretty out there, you know. Um, and then the Tom and Bro, they were like, oh, yeah, this is awesome, you know. And, uh, and then, then we'd go and do our normal what we do, but definitely um, thought this time more about arranging uh, riffs and and things like that, rather than just slamming a wall of semi-distorted chords, as yeah, we yeah. have have done a bit in the past, you know. And but it was great because I think every song ended up having its own kind of unique uh, personality, maybe. Whereas, yeah. have we had we approached it like we'd done the other albums, where we'd all just get in a room and bang it out? You know, they're always going to have that kind of common foundation to start from. Um, and then, you know, that can be good, but it can also make them all sound the same. So we really took a lot, a lot of time and to make sure each, each song on the album had its own individual vibe, I guess. Sure. And then, um, sure. yeah, seemed to work out all right. Yeah. Well, man, I loved the earlier albums for sure. And they are just wall to wall with massive guitars. And, um, when, when we talk about the eighties, um, <clears throat> I can hear some of that big guitar influence and that big production influence, which is awesome, oh, man. man. Like- but some the- of the early stuff, like is like there's a song on um, uh, the It's On album, and uh, it's called Dangerous, and it's like the the it's basically a, a, it's basically Southern Sons and Farnham ripped off in a song, <laughs> <laughs> basically with with vocals that aren't anywhere near as high or cool, you know. Um, but it's, we're, we're huge um, Southern Suns fans. Okay, uh, yeah, great. And, and, um, and, and Farnham fans. Actually, when we were on Australia's Got Talent, what we'd do is before each time we'd be in the dressing room, we'd have the we'd have our laptop and we'd have the Chain Reaction Tour DVD. Oh, yeah. How good is that? Watch, That's awesome. Oh, man. It's, we, we would call that the Old Testament. So um, <laughs> it was a, that was a fairly big uh, influence on our, on all of us, you know. Nice. Um I mean that uh, so cool. Like that's I still. I just like to just YouTube that every now and again, it's and just killer. remind myself how good people can can be. Yeah, you know that, that's the one with um Jack Jones and Phil Buckle on guitars, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah and, nice. uh, Hirschfelder on keys. Yeah, just like just uh, a tour de force of like that's just so cool. And everyone like Farnham's just he still sings like an absolute beast, but like yeah. 
you know, you might say the height of his powers, possibly, you know, just like everyone on that stage, it was incredible. And, um, yeah, so we'd always put that on before we were going to do these things and get nice, pumped man. up and we love it. Yeah, that's what I say when you asked me to do this podcast and, you know, I'd heard uh, Phil's one and, and and Brett Garstead's one and I'm like, man, yeah, this is so cool. So Nice, man. Well, I was thinking, yeah. about, I was thinking about the older stuff, like that big wall of – Massive guitars and the mm. some like backing vocals reminded me of Def Leppard a little bit. Um, yeah, which I don't yeah, know if that's uh, like a Mutt Lang hangover from the Shania oh, yeah, Twain no, we stuff. Or... We, we absolutely, we absolutely did that. Yeah. Um, I remember because you know, yeah, we're big fans of Def Leppard as well, and, uh-huh. and actually, I'm a massive fan of Mutt Lang. I'm actually, I have a playlist where I um, find songs that uh, sort of are interesting like pop rock songs, but they'll do interesting kind of chord, uh, like, you know, the chorus might go to a different key or something like that. And I've just made this playlist and nine times out of 10, Mutt Lang is involved in those songs. Wow. There you go. As he, he, he is a mother. That guy is amazing. Um, what were we talking about? The, B, the BVs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, literally, we literally did that thing where you're like, um, record the BVs and then you record like heaps of takes of like whisper tracks of you, you know, singing in that like <sighs> sort of type thing and put that out. So yeah, that, that was uh, totally a Mutt Lang uh, rip off that one. Nice man. <laughs> nice. Or oh, an influence, you know, we can call it whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> heavily, heavily influenced by that. That's cool. But then the new record comes out and it's got, yeah, a whole new level of um, detail and nuance. Um which I guess goes back to what you were saying earlier, you know, taking your time with each tune and um, crafting parts for each song carefully. Was there any, um, uh, in terms of guitars and instruments, was there any different approaches on on that record? Yeah, only only in the fact, I guess we didn't, you know, we probably found ourselves, I guess we'd sort of just probably grown up a bit, you know, like on the previous albums, you know, we'd, I guess we just were still thinking we've got to make this rock and um, it's got to be loud and it's got to, you know, have kind of shred influences. And and I guess, yeah, we're just like, no, nah, actually, you know, what we're singing about here um, doesn't always necessarily warrant that treatment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Perhaps the music and the production we we ended up with on this album kind of suited the, the songs and the, the what they're about better, and I think that made that was one reason it kind of connected so much better than the previous albums with with so many old fans and new fans. I mean, we still got guys. We actually did get guys coming to the gig, like a, um, a guy came to the gig recently, and he's like. We were sort of doing a bit of a meet and greet after a gig, and a, he had ba- Broad um, bailed up on the side, and he was he was saying, "Now don't don't let him, you know, don't let him stop you doing the solos, mate. You still, you know, still got to have them in there." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. So, nice. But uh, it's funny we get a lot of people coming to our gigs. I think that were that were heavily into like maybe pub rock and things like that in its in its day, and um. It's it's quite. I think a lot of it's one big. Uh, have you heard of the uh, Big Red Bash Festival? Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
That's uh, just for those who don't know, um, it's Birdsville Big Red Bash. It's in Birdsville, which is pretty much what in it's on the edge of the Simpson Desert, I believe. Um, extremely hard to get to. I was going to say middle of nowhere, but I think your description's more geographically like it's, it's accurate. Literally, you know, the middle of nowhere. Like even from Birdsville, it's about yeah. forty-five minutes in a four-wheel drive wow. to get to the festival site. Yeah, you get there. There's no there's no phone service. Um, there's um, 9,000, 10,000 people there. Wow. It's, um, I believe it's bring your own alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the stage is, un, there's no roof on the stage. It's on the, at the base of this massive sand dune called Big Red. And um, the lineup uh, is usually sort of guys like the Angels, Farnham, Midnight Oil did a lot uh, this year, which would have been to see that those guys yeah. at that location would yeah. have been one of the old McGigs, I reckon. So, um, but yeah, like that. And then there'll be the sort of country element too. Like we've done it a few times, uh, Lee County again and various guys like that um, from the country scene. So, but the cool thing is, um, yeah, we can almost, no matter where we are in Australia, there'll be someone who comes to our gig and like saw you guys at the big red bash wasn't a country fan, um, love what you guys do, and now I'm, I'm right into it, you know? And I think, nice, so, man. yeah, there's so many of that guy who's, like, was in, is right into the Angels, that sort of sound, and then kind of hears what we do, and I think maybe, you know, goes, oh, oh, yeah, maybe country isn't, you know, all as as traditional as they thought, you know? So Sure, sure. That's cool. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, definitely you guys would be a great bridge for, for a lot of guys. Um, yeah, like you yeah. said, like the Rockers for sure because there's that, there's that heritage. But, yeah, you, you've certainly combined the, the country edge. Well, the, the thing that I, I find too is like we didn't certainly didn't come from listening to traditional country. You know, the only country that I've really ever been exposed to when I was young was – as I say before, like early James Blundell, um, you know, when I was, you know, starting to play guitar, like line dancing was a massive craze. Mum used to do line dancing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so That's I the icy breaky coming yeah, back that, again. That yeah, period, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a real kind of thing. But like I, it's always been kind of country rock, I guess, that, that I've heard, you know, and like those early Blunder albums, like the guitar parts and everything on that, it's just magical. Um, I believe like uh, it was Mark Punch who did a lot of that stuff. Okay. Who I've never yeah, met, cool. but um, you know, just awesome stuff like um, Laurie Minson, um, guys like that, you know, just great sounds, beautifully, just perfect parts. Um, yeah, so that's kind of I guess where our our country origins i guess came from i suppose yeah nice man nice so you're you're out heaps you guys are working so hard you're touring so much what um i saw a great instagram post from you yesterday or the day before there was um you've got a killer road case now to lug oh mate, guitars have, tell me about i have just just got the the case of my dreams <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so good now, for for people who are not traveling all the time, like you are, a, a guitar case is fairly boring. But um, 
yeah, explain why this is so good, and then we'll talk oh, about what mate. you put inside it. Yeah, sure thing. So um, I've been lugging around basically three guitars, uh, you know, the acoustic. Um, I have an electric that I use with Lee, which is a standard tuning. We're always down half steps, so then I've okay. got another one down half steps. So I've pretty much always got to take three guitars. So most of my gear choices is actually shaped by, you know, I'm going to have to fly this pretty much every week yeah. somewhere. And, yeah. and so, but I've just got this case that's, um, it's a Scott Dixon case there in, in, in the UK. Uh, it's a three guitar case. So I can put my acoustic two electrics in it and it's made of uh, like aluminium and it's made uh, really lightweight. So I haven't confirmed this yet, but by my calculations, um, with three guitars in it, I should be able to fly it as one individual airline piece. Okay. And if you've ever done that, yeah, man, you know That's how terrible killer. that you know you know that that is the grail of <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's, and but it's even so good too. Like it, it stands up on its end, like a kind of like a guitar boat sort of thing, and mm-hmm. um, you, you take off the front. But I was wheeling it around, even. Like I noticed the other night, I took it into the hotel and, you know, went into the hotel, up in a lift, you know, and then I got to the, the room and I'm like, wow, that was actually easier than carrying like one guitar, let alone um, three, because you know, it stands on its end. So when you, when you rest, when you stop moving, you don't yeah, have to right. put it down and pick it up again. You just like yep. tip it up and it stands yep. there. So like it's just oh man, so good. No more baggage trolleys getting to the airport and you know putting your card on the the baggage trolley thing and then it takes you five bucks and doesn't give you the cart and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, yeah. like oh my god. I mean probably ah oh, yeah. So that, I'm very excited about that case. It's um such a cool thing. Awesome. As a very very occasional guitar flyer, but a weekly player lugging gear in and out of cars. I'm very happy for you. It's made my year, you know. Yeah. It's so good. Nice. Now what do you put inside? So you said an acoustic and two electrics. What yeah, what are we talking yeah. about? So um again I you know I I don't most of my I I don't really I've never had uh what some would call like you know amazing kind of high expensive instruments but the the ones I have I love you know um so I've got my main my favorite guitar of all time is this Mexican Strat that mm-hmm. I got um when I was in college um and I'm terrible like with um model numbers and names and stuff like that but it's got like a um it's not a hot rails but uh it's you know a, a humbucker single coil okay type thing yeah, in it. yeah and then and then two other um single coils that are sort of replaced. Yeah. Um, and that that's, I just love that guitar. It's just, no matter where, what other one I've played, I just always go back to that one. That's like, the one. Oh, nice. This is, this is great, you know. So that, there's that one and that's starting to look pretty cool. You know, I guess it's, you know, 15 something years old now. Um, and, you know, the scratch plate's gone like brown almost. Um, I kind of wish the paint would, uh, you know, start, aging a bit but uh it's the paint still must have been that you know from that time where they they just keep their 
they don't age now, yeah, you know, it's probably whatever that tough is. Poly you know. or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I love playing that one. Uh, then I've got my uh, Telecaster, um, again, a Mexican one. Um, th- it's a little, this is an interesting one. Um, I bought it, I really wanted a, a B Bender Telecaster. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so th- I was sort of, Years ago, but I was like inquiring, like, oh, and they were like, oh, look, n- none are set to come into Australia for like, you know, a year or something, but we can, you know, we'll put your name down. Like, ah, oh, yeah, nah. And then um, I, uh, so what I did is I, I bought the uh, the B Bender off eBay, like the actual components, and I also bought a G Bender as well, which was like on a, a, a hip shot thing. Okay, yep. And, um, and I put, then I went to the shop in Hobart, bought a Mexican um, telly, and literally went straight from the shop to uh, uh, a guy called Paul Manure, uh Luthier down there, and said, "Mate, can you um, put this in this guitar?" And he's like, well, "What the hell is this?" You know, and, but he did an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, and nice. um, yeah, then I got this guitar back with a, a B bender and a G bender. So is that um? um do they? Do they activate off both ends of the strap? So, so what happens is the 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 B bender is off the uh, neck end of the strap. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Um, I guess for those who don't know, it, um, you push down on the guitar, this, this lever goes up, which is attached to your strap, and it raises the tone of the B string by a tone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, the G bender one I had was uh, actually like a hip shot thing. So it had a steel bar <laughs> that would um, rest against your hip and then you pushed forward on the neck and um, that and that would, is what would raise the tone oh, of okay. the G-string by, okay. a, uh, by a tone. But look, it made the guitar so heavy okay. <laughs> and it was so hard to sing. And yeah. and because like if you put any pressure on either of these things, it's going to bend the string. So if you're like yeah. if you forget for like one second, you've got like you might be like bending a string like not you know, not a semitone, but just that sort of microwave inducing out of tune <laughs> sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I took the G bender off, and now it's just the uh, the B bender in that one, which I honestly I'd probably use like once a gig if yeah. that you know if I'm feeling like I'm playing well and I, I'm going to be able to pull something off that um, that I'll, that is going to, if I'm feeling confident, you know, I'll, I'll switch over to the, the B-Bender strap uh, notch and then um, I'll throw something in. But honestly, I don't, I don't use it too much. I, I break it out in recording, you know, yeah. um, but I love, um, we always loved like the sound of the B-Bender on Metallica's stuff. Oh really? Things. Wow! You know, um, I think there's one of the songs like uh, uh, "My Friend of Misery" mm-hmm. that has just this riff in it towards towards the end. That's just one of the best uses of a B bender I, I can ever think of. You know, it's just so cool. Um, I use a cu- another a couple of things. Maybe uh, I can't think of the name of the song. Um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, they, they, they Headfield is uh, bloody good with the B bender, and but not in a not in a chicken picking country way. Just okay. In a really, really cool way, you know. Um, yeah, that guitar's got uh, again. Don't know the name, what pickups they are, but um, a rails in the in the bridge, and um, yep. and that's actually got a strat sort of um, 
configuration with two two single coils. Not oh, the, okay, okay, yeah. Not the telly thing. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so um, nice, man. Yeah, and then the acoustic um, is a actually a it's a red red Fender Redondo. Um, we're endorsed by Fender. They saw us on the show on Australia's Got Talent, and oh, they're all, all playing Fenders, and they're like, "Well, you're all playing Fenders, boys. Do you want to?" Uh, Make it official. That was kind of, that was kind of the email, and we were like, "My God, this is the best day of our lives." So um, <laughs> yeah, that, that happened really early on. So wow. that was a grant at Fender, and uh, yep. yeah, now we sort of uh, uh, deal with Heath um, and oh, yeah, Fender, yep. Fender Australia have been just absolutely wonderful to us. So oh, excellent. yeah, really happy to be involved with those guys. Yeah, Fantastic. so um, yeah, playing the the Redondo, um, which is the you know it's a, got the Strat headstock. Um, which I, I first I was like, oh, you know what? I'm not sure about this as a kind of acoustic thing, but uh, really grows on you, I find, and and good for tuning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, all they're uh, all right there. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, it seems to. I don't know. It seems to seems to hold tune very well, like compared to, you know, I don't know. What, what do you call that when the the, the Tuning pegs are on both sides. You know, oh that, yeah, that the, the tree you know? side. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's something. I think there's something pretty cool actually about about the Strat headstock yeah. on acoustic. Man, so, I reckon they look super cool. I remember the um, it's one of the Midnight Oil clips. Both guys are playing playing Fender acoustics with the the six aside headstock. It looks killer. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. very no, cool. It definitely, gro- definitely grows on you. It's uh, yeah, I love it. So that yeah, my sort of yeah, my three uh. Workhorses, I guess. And yep. Put them in the good case and away we go. Nice, man. Do you, you said um before we started recording, you mentioned something about a Gretsch. Have you got some guitars that just stay at home or just for the studio? Yeah, well, I, I got onto um, the Gretsches. Um, I've only sort of gone back to the Strat and the Tele in the last couple of years. Okay. Um, but for the last few years before that, I was using um, – I had two Gretsch 5420Ts. Um, Again, not like a – not a hugely premium Gretsch, mm-hmm. but mate, they, they, they were amazing. Um, I just kind of got, I just wanted more frets basically. Yeah. And yep. Um, that's, I guess, why I've gone back to the, the strats and, and tellies. And um, yeah, but that was great sound. I love the Bigsby thing. Not, okay. not as like a, not in like a rockabilly type way, but just I love that kind of, oh, this is funny actually. We call, you know, that sort of like, uh, well, the best way we, we describe them in the band is fill buckle chords. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. You know, where it's sort of like this beautiful ringing out chord and there's just like a slight, if you just sort of slightly press up and down the, on the Bigsby and it just makes this beautiful chorusy type thing. And it, Yeah, I love it for that. You know, that was a great, great thing about those guitars. Love that. Nice. Mentioning um, yeah. Phil, do you have an open tune at or...? No, no, that actually that podcast uh, he did with Phil that I was that blew my mind. Some of those tunings he was talking about there, you know, I, I never really knew that that was what was going on. I was always trying to play those songs and figure them out by standard. But that the, once you hear that, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's the sound, isn't it? It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, man. It's the same story. Yeah, I always figured they were standard. The, the electric stuff, anyway. I thought oh, it's got to be standard, mm. but. Yeah, he makes it work. But that's cool. And I guess Gretsch, that's part of the Fender family nowadays right, as well. Yeah. So that's a nice connection. Um, well, 
I kind of got onto it because I, I was going to get one of those um, tellies with the, again, I'm terrible with pickups and stuff, but, you know, with the Gretsch type pickups in it, I think they were called like a Cabernita telly. Oh, maybe. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, they, were, cool. they, were out of, they were out of them. And then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll just try one of these Gretches. And then I just, I just got, got hooked and away we went. Nice. Um, yeah, James James Ryan was at Fender then, and okay. he uh, sort of got me into it. And nice, yeah, loved him. So very cool. Yeah. Well, what do you do for amps and stuff? Especially like you're on the road all the time. You're probably prohibited yeah, well, lugging an amp around. That's right. Yeah. So I definitely don't really lug an amp around too much. Um, and um, again, I guess my choice of amp is just sort of shaped by the travel and the um, you know all the all the going around um but i my, i just i own a uh hot rod deville 212 yeah nice. um that that stays in sydney in a in a storage shed and um so most of the kernigan stuff um and stuff that's around sydney will will use that so um and then i've got another uh what is it, a hot rod deluxe just a 112 in tasmania that i, that I use for stuff down here so i okay. have to have two sets of gear and then well i really like the deville 212 because pretty much everywhere you go every backline company that's what's going to be yeah um and, and it kind of kind of goes pretty well too like Broad uses the ac30 so um okay nice they, they seem to be a good combo yeah you know, cool. with each other and then um yeah pedal wise I, I again is shaped mostly by the traveling aspect so yep. um i've Used a lot of sort of multi effects over the last few years. I had the basically the last few years I had the line six. Is it the M um, nine? Okay, the yep. sort of six, six button one. Yeah. Um, and then that that died a, a glorious glorious <laughs> death. Um, you know, mid solo. I developed this no. developed this uh, nice nice habit where um, just all the parameters would just go back to zero. Oh really? Without anybody or, or anything touching it. That's and, a shame. Um, but look, <laughs> it, 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 honestly, it gave me years of, of faithful service. Um, so I, I can't speak badly of it. It was just, uh, just had had its day and seen yeah. too many backs of vans and suitcases and stuff like that. So, sure. yeah. So yeah, after that, I did the, uh, the fly rig, the Tech 21. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Fly rig, just the, you know, that was really good. That had one of the best sounding delays i reckon i've ever heard that um that was really cool um then i went i uh, used a um so laurie minson who's a um really um prominent guitarist in australian country he actually um makes like a really good multi-effects um unit called the uh, minson m8 and i was using one of those for a while um super cool pedal like um just like one knob per effect you can take it you know, unscrew the back and then tweak your parameters um, within each one, but then you put it back on and then you've just got the one knob that's kind of the main okay. feature of whatever yeah, effect cool. it is. That sounds great and for it's live. Really, it's really good, really good quality um, sounds and great value. So, um, oh, and the cool thing about it too, it has like a clean boost at the end. So you can either use it like if you have it on, so and it's at, at twelve o'clock. It's at, at like unison. So if you you could either turn it up and then turn it on as a boost, or um, 
you can back it off, have it on all the time and match that with the clean sound of your amp. Say if, if you've got like overdrive and stuff before it. And then when you do a solo, you take off the boost pedal. Okay. Okay. Nice. And then the whole thing gets louder. So that's, that's ah, a pretty cool clever. setup how he's got it. Um, it. It's really cool. Um, so that's great. But right at the moment, I'm using actually a Moore red truck. Oh, yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So, um, and that's that's really, basically, I just thought I'd try it out because um, it was so bloody light and I'd just put it in my suitcase. And then, because I don't really, can't really sometimes just afford to, you know, have another luggage piece that's pedals or whatever, you know. So I just run that and it does everything I need, you know. Um, the only thing bad about it was the, the tuner. It's pretty pretty inaccurate. So I, I've just used the old um, clip-on behind the headstock. And sure, sure. Doesn't look doesn't look cool in photos, but it's um, it's all right. <laughs> Does a job, <laughs> man. For yeah. for someone on the road, that sounds like a great little rig. And and yeah, triple guitar case. You, sounds like you're good to go. Oh, mate. Well, the great thing about that red truck too is uh, it's got a cab um, simulated output on the front. So the other week we were playing and then uh, one of the backline amps, literally smoke started coming out of it uh, mid gig and um, everyone's, we didn't have a spare amp and everyone's kind of looking around. And then I've remembered there's this thing, I'd never tried it out. Um, and then one of the guys ran a DI out and we, in we went and was literally not that much different. Really? Wow. <laughs> so, How good that? You know, and it's, it's, it's not like a yeah. It's I'm sure there's way way better you know uh, amp simulators and things like that. But geez, it got us out of a bind. You know, yeah, so, excellent man. Um, yeah, that's that's a world I'd love to get into too. You know, of the axe effects and and mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. You know, I I think I'd be forever you know tweaking things and making different sounds. But I yeah, that'd be right up my alley. But I just haven't ever kind of gone down that path. I think you sort of. I think everyone in the band would ha would have to maybe, you know, it's just sort of if if one guy's not moving yeah, the air sure. on stage, it might might be a bit weird. But yeah, gotcha. I, gu yeah. I guess I guess people still use like powered cabs and stuff with them. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a whole world I haven't explored yet. But I'm sure one day I will. <laughs> nice, nice. So what's um as we speak, it's kind of mid September. What's what's the rest of the year and. Uh, looking yeah. into 2020, what do things look like for you? Yeah, so um, rest of the year we're um, basically um, touring on with Lee Kernigan on the Back Road Nation tour. I think we've got two weekends off basically for the rest of the year. Um, so looking forward to those. Haven't had a weekend at home in a while. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, really cool going to all, all parts of Australia basically with that. Um, in the weeks where that's not on, we we go and do our own Wolf Brothers shows somewhere. Um, so, yeah, we're all, always kicking around somewhere. And then next year, um, yeah, hoping to get over to Canada, actually, and, and tour quite a bit. So, Great, um, man. That'll be a, be a nice um, ex exploration, I reckon. Very cool. You've been, um, like, you've been over to the US quite a few times, if I'm, if I'm following correctly. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we've we've recorded one of our albums over there. Um, we've basically mainly been over there. Uh, we do write, uh, writing trips because you know Nashville 
is such a a writing hub. Um, yeah, yeah, wow. So basically, um, yeah, we'll go over for a few weeks and then just write with all these guys who are, you know, some of the best in the world and we'll write, you know, two, three times a day and we'll use up every single possible idea we can muster in our brains and uh, somehow we come out with some okay songs at the end of it most of the time. So, Great. Um, yeah, but we have played a bit over there too. We did some um, – we got on a, like a county fair circuit. Yep. Uh, a few years ago, nice. and that was a whole whole other world. Um, I think, guys. So we were playing places like uh, Ohio, Indiana, um, you know, Midwest, all those sort of those sort of places. And I think the guys really were blowing out that we were well. One, they didn't even know Tasmania was a real place. You know, we'd sort of say. If you heard of the Tasmanian devil, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, that's that thing that spins around like a tornado. And we're like, yeah, no, so it doesn't actually spin, but it is a real, a real thing and uh, it's a real place. That's where we're from. And uh, now we're going to play American country music at you. So uh, and, so I think it blew their minds. But, um, yeah, really, really fun times. And um, I really hope we can get back out of the States and do something like that again one day. So. Love it. Nice one. Nice one. Well, what's the best way for people to keep up to date with with you and, and the Wolf Brothers? Yeah, well, um, yeah, we're on all the all the normal channels, um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that stuff. So, yeah, check us out and um, follow along and um, hopefully we entertain you in some way. <laughs> yeah, excellent, man. Excellent. So, I'll, I'll post links to, to all that stuff in the show notes for this show if you're listening. But, yeah, um, great, man. Yeah. But it's it's yeah it's not hard to find the the Wolf Brothers, um, and your website's awesome. It's like up to date and stuff too. So that's that's something. Oh, that's, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, actually, I, I often find out where I'm playing off off the website myself. So um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's that's great. good. Or yeah. Facebook, or, or yeah. yeah, my wife will tell me. I'm like, oh yeah, it's cool. That's that's. I mean, often you know we just get the itinerary sent through and. And I, sometimes I'll be going to the airport and I will not actually know where I'm going. So it's, uh, it's good to have the website there to, to know. Oh, man. Nick, that, is, is, that is very rock and roll. You're just rocking up to the airport. Oh. Just get me to the gig. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not quite. They're usually not uh, that receptive to like, what flight are you? I'm like, oh, um, yeah, um, uh, Melbourne? No, no, actually Sydney, yeah, yeah, hang on, let me look. Oh, Brisbane, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they tend not to really like that too much, but um, sure. yeah, it's now we're very spoiled to uh, be, you know, in a situation where we can kind of forget where the hell we're going. We've got very amazing management team and um, almost too good that, yeah, as, as you know, like just to to not know where I'm going because I don't read the itinerary well, you know. So <laughs> it's pretty, pretty lucky bikes. Oh, that's great, man. Well, listen, you've, you guys have worked super hard and you've caught some good breaks and, um, yeah, all the good stuff going on now is um, is testament to that, you know. And so thanks for joining us. Great to hear your story and keep at it, man. No, thanks so much. I'm so glad uh, to be on here, mate. Really appreciate it. All right, there you go, my conversation with Nick Wolf. I love those stories, man. Those guys were going to make a dent in things no matter what. They just worked super hard and then 
little bit of opportunity and uh, grabbed a hold of it with both hands. I love that story. Very cool to talk to Nick. Hey, make sure you check out our Spotify playlist uh, featuring some of the music we discussed in today's show, including some of that of the Wolf Brothers. I know you're going to dig it. Links to the Michael Dolce Masterclass 2019 tour dates are also in our show notes, so check those out. And uh, while you're there, why not head over to Guitar Speak Podcast as well. You can find all our previous episodes, how to subscribe to the podcast, where to buy a t-shirt, and uh, all of our social media stuff. All right, my name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak Podcast. I love it that you're tuning in, and I'll catch you next time. Bye now.